The Biden administration has ambitious goals for electric cars, but will never get there without a sufficient supply of rare earth minerals. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We've talked a lot about the United States' heavy dependence on China for supplies of rare earth minerals, which are essential elements in many high-tech products. Recently, though, with the push by automakers and the Biden administration for a transition to electric vehicles, the issue has taken on even greater significance. We cannot meet targets for making zero-emission vehicles half of all cars sold by 2030 without enough of the rare earth minerals that go into them. And it won't happen as long as China is responsible for between 80 and 90 percent of global supply. Today we get brought up to date on the situation with the help of Peeney Althaus, CEO of USA Rare Earth, one of the few companies currently working to create a domestic source of rare earth materials. We'll explore solutions, obstacles, and timetables. And we'll address environmental concerns about the mining of rare earth minerals. Here's my conversation with Peeney Althaus. Peeney Althaus, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Robert. Where are we at this very moment regarding the Biden administration's commitment to sourcing rare earth mining and production in the United States? The Biden administration, after the 100-day review following the executive order, have started to, I guess, make the right moves with regards to re-establishing a supply chain here within the United States. In addition to that, we've seen some bipartisan efforts, most recently being the Rare Earth Permanent Magnet Act that was introduced by Eric Swalwell and Guy Rushenthaler. So the right things are being said. The question is, is if it's enough, and how late are we to the party? Well, clearly we're quite late to the party, considering that China has an overwhelming monopoly on rare earth production in the world, but I guess that doesn't mean we can't respond in any way. Uh, tell me a little more about the Rare Earth Permanent Magnet Act. You say that was introduced. Is it still in Congress being considered, or and what exactly would that do? So that was introduced just last week. As I mentioned, it was a, a bipartisan bill that was introduced, and it's called the Rare Earth Magnet Manufacturing Act. And what that is endeavouring to do is to provide tax credits for permanent magnet manufacturing within the United States. And it can range anywhere from $20 to $30 per kilogram for the key four magnet materials. So NDPR, DY and TB, that's neodymium, praseodymium, disposium and terbium. And if it comes from US mines and manufactured here, of course, then it would be $30 a kilo if it came from materials that would be mined outside the U.S. and brought into the U.S. for magnet manufacturing would be $20 a kilo. But the purpose of that is to essentially re-establish magnet manufacturing in this country. Now, USA Rare Earth, which is the company that I founded, has the only permanent magnet manufacturing plant in the U.S., and this was the plant that was operated by Hitachi, North Carolina, between 2011 and 2015. And it can produce up to 2,400 tonne of magnets a year, but that is just 
a drop in the bucket, if you will, of the overall demand that we're seeing today and certainly that we're going to be seeing in the next few years, especially leading to 2030 when, as has been well publicised, the Biden administration together with the three big auto manufacturers here in the US are looking to have 50% electrification by 2030. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to have any chance of meeting those goals, we have to have not just permanent magnets, but we have to have the raw materials, we have to have processing, we have to have metal making and then magnet manufacturing in this country or closely aligned with allies in addition to having this in the country. Otherwise, there's very little chance of being able to achieve those goals. Yes, as you just described, four stages required, as you've explained to me in the past, mining, processing, metal and alloys production, and magnet manufacturing. Now, USA Rare Earth is handling three of those at this point, not doing metals and alloys production. Is that correct? We are joint venturing on the metals and alloys at the present time. And on the mining side, Round Top obviously goes into production in 2023. So what we've been spending the last year and a half on is the processing side, the optimization of the materials, not just from Round Top, but we've taken materials from projects in other countries because unlike sort of other processing methods that are being used, uh, solvent extraction that are used by other companies, we're using iron exchange. And the way that we've established this and the way we're going about it, that enables us to take third-party feedstock. And that's important because what we're starting to see is that companies like Australian companies, Canadian companies, are looking for alternatives to China, endeavouring to keep the materials in a non-Chinese supply chain, preferably in a US supply chain, an EU supply chain, and even countries like Japan and Korea. And in order to do that, there has to be a processing alternative to China, which there is not currently today. Mm-hmm. So we've successfully done a lot of the separation work, both on the materials from Roundtop and also for third-party materials coming from other projects. So um, we've been focused on the processing The mining is fairly straightforward. It will be contract mining. We've established our pilot plant and we've already started laying the groundwork and getting the key permits in place for a demonstration plant to be completed end of this year or beginning of next year. And then, of course, we have the magnet manufacturing, as I mentioned earlier, with partnering or joint venturing on the metal making. But all of it will be sort of outside of China. Yeah, you say Round Top will be in production by 2023, although initially in production. When do you expect to, or would hope to come up to uh, full production levels in all of the areas in which you're involved? How long will that take? Well, the magnet manufacturing can actually get into production sort of, I'd say, Q3, Q4 of next year. It's a question of finding the right location, which we're in the process of doing, uh, to reestablish the magnet plant and reassemble the magnet plant. Mm -hmm. And we are identifying sources of non-Chinese feedstock for initial magnet production ahead of Roundtop going into production, at which time Roundtop will be the provider of the materials for the magnet plant. Mm -hmm. So by end of 2023, we should have sort of all four parts of the supply chain up and running and be in full commercialization from mine all the way through to magnet. The term feedstock, as you employed in your industry, refers to what? The actual uh, minerals being mined? Or what exactly is that? Yeah, so feedstock is uh, the materials that we receive, which may come in either a carbonate or a concentrate, but essentially containing the key four magnet materials that mm-hmm. were mentioned earlier. I see. And, and those, some of those would come from China? You would handle some of that directly from China as well? 
No, we would not be taking any of the feedstock from China. So this would all be non-Chinese feedstock. So we are identifying other sources for feedstock ahead of Roundtop going into production. And part of that is this isn't sort of an anti-China thing. It's really around, we made an announcement earlier this year that we had signed up with an Australian company uh, called Source Certain International, SCI. And what they do is using a DNA chemical fingerprint, they trace the provenance of the materials all the way from mine to magnet. So it's mm. not blockchain, which can be susceptible to, let's call it a human error or various inputs. It's actually the DNA chemical fingerprint to be able to establish where the materials were mined, where they were processed, where the metals and alloys were made and where the magnets were manufactured. So that will then enable us to provide an end user certificate to our customers and in turn, for example, a EV manufacturer can then provide an end user certificate to their customers. So this is all sort of about being able to have the material mined and processed in a sustainable way. And at the present time, China is not doing that. So we wouldn't be using materials from China for the magnet plant. So excluding China and putting aside the United States for a moment, what other places in the world might you draw on for the feedstock that you can bring into the U.S. and, and process and put through the supply chain? Yeah, without divulging too much. <laughs> so obviously countries like Australia and Canada, there are projects elsewhere around the world in, in Africa and other locations. So we are in discussions there and sort of have our eye on feedstock from various sources. I don't mean to be coy. I'm just uh, not at liberty to talk about sort of where we would be taking this feedstock from until, of course, the time comes when we can announce. We've mentioned electric vehicles as being a major customer for the use of rare earth materials. What other types of products, high-tech products and the like, might require increased amounts of rare earth materials going forward in the years ahead? What would, it, what would be your market in addition to EVs? A lot of outreach from the consumer electronics sector. So we've seen companies that have sort of been talking about using recycled magnets or being carbon neutral, whether it's by 2030 or, or dates thereabouts. So the consumer electronics sector is also looking at two things. One, the sustainability aspect, where are these materials coming from, but also the security of the supply chain. I mean, people have sort of looked at what's happening recently and are very much focused on whether this is part of a trade war with China or it's not part of a trade war. Will China weaponize? Won't they weaponize? I think it's a lot more simplistic than that. It's simply supply and demand. Prior to 2018, there was an abundance of these materials. China was a net exporter. Since 2018, China had become a net importer. And obviously, with the Belt and Road Initiative, with the Made in China 2025 mandate, with China's own electrification endeavors, and I think that's 25 million vehicles, the materials are in short supply right now, and they will continue to be in short supply by a significant factor between now and 2030 and, and beyond. And there are some reports calling for a 10 times increase, others calling for more than that. What these reports in some cases are not factoring in is that companies in Australia, Canada and elsewhere already have offtakes in place, whether it's with the Japanese government through their funding of various projects like Linus, whether it's through German companies like Thyssen Group, whether it's through Chinese companies. So even looking at the projects that are slated to come online in the next five years or so, these materials don't necessarily come into the U.S. supply chain. In most cases, will not come into the U.S. supply chain. We've seen conversations around sort of the reliance on projects in foreign countries like Australia, like Canada. Reliance is very dangerous because, as has been publicly disclosed and just mentioned, some of these projects already have offtakes in place and those materials will not come into the U.S. supply chain or likely will not come into the U.S. supply chain. And they are free to do deals with Chinese companies as well on the offtakes, whereas 
U.S. producers or miners or producers of critical materials because of CFIUS regulations, for the most part, will not be able to send these materials to China for uh, processing or enter into offtakes. Yeah. So I think what we need to look at is, A, re-establishing a U.S.-based supply chain, whilst at the same time looking at collaboration with countries like Australia and Canada. Clarify for me what you just said earlier about China went from being a net exporter to a net importer of what specifically? So the key magnet materials, so oh, neodymium, praseodymium, disposium, and terbium, and obviously sort of with the coup in Myanmar, a lot of attention has been on Myanmar being a source of heavy rare earths for China. They're heavily reliant on that, and China today is a net importer. And sort of if you look at what happened back in 2010, when China cut off rare earth exports from Japan for 40 days, Japan, the US, and others went to the WTO and, and protested, and China resumed exports. And at that time, it was seen as a nefarious act by China to cut off exports because there was an abundance of these materials. Mm -hmm. It's no longer the same thing. If China were to say, which it is already saying, and which the Japanese government have reported that they are not able to secure the same amounts of materials they once were, but if China decided to cut off exports today from any country, this would not necessarily be a nefarious act. They have the rights to prioritise the materials for their own domestic consumption and for their own production of materials then to be exported to the rest of the world, which is the backbone of China's economy. Mm -hmm. So we cannot continue to rely on China. And you ask about other sectors. Let's talk about defence. Most high-tech defence applications use permanent magnets and rare earth materials. All of that today is coming from China. So if you think about an F-35, we've got about a tonne of rare earth magnet that is in an F-35. From a national security standpoint, we can't manufacture key defense equipment without a reliance on China. So it's quite oh, wow. a perilous situation to be in, especially with a country like China. Especially with the U.S. Department of Defense clamping down on procurement with links to China and the, and the like. I guess they have no choice but to depend on China right now. But I would think going forward, the at least from a national defense standpoint, the desire would be to draw entirely on supplies other than from China for that purpose, right? Well, the U.S. defense actually accounts for a small, an overall small percentage of rare earth imports into the United States. I see. And, and that's sort of been another key area of confusion for a lot of people we talk about governments and what governments can do and can't do, the US government apparatus is not the same as it is in China, of course, and it's not even the same as it is in Japan. So if you look at what Japan has done, uh, JogMeg, um, together with METI, the Ministry of Trade, have made investments into companies like Linus, and in return have secured the offtake of materials from various projects. And essentially, it's not just for national defense issue applications, but on behalf of several sectors, whether it's the EV sector, consumer electronics, etc. The US government doesn't operate that way. The US government is not going out and securing supplies for a Ford, a GM, or any other car company or consumer electronics company for that matter. It'll focus on uh, the national defense stockpile or acquisitions of materials that are needed for defense applications. So we cannot rely on the US government in terms of being able to establish a supply chain for sectors beyond defense and the national defense stockpile. So that then leaves the EV sector, the renewable sector, 
consumer electronics companies, medical equipment, of course, has a lot of rare earths in them, to go out and to do their own offtakes. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, and in order to be able to buy these materials, to be able to get these materials at pricing that's comparable to that which China sells it for, that requires the US government to step in with action, like the bills that have been recently proposed, like the Rare Act, like the Permanent Magnet Act, and to incentivize investment domestically into the mining, processing, metal making, and and eventually magnet manufacturing. A couple of times you've mentioned the word sustainable. There have been environmental concerns, environmentally based concerns, about the mining and production of rare earth minerals. Is that still a concern, or do you feel like you've addressed that at Roundtop and elsewhere in the supply chain? When we sort of started out, this was during the Trump administration, And it goes without saying it was not sort of difficult to compel the Republicans in Congress that this is an important issue. But as we know today in Congress, things have to be bipartisan in order for them to get moving. And one of the arguments that we made or cases that we put before the Democrats in Congress was quite simple. It's been well publicized the way that China mines their materials, the way they process the materials and the environmental devastation the mining and processing has had, both on the surrounding populations with people getting sick, but also the surrounding areas with pollution, etc. And China have admitted it and talked about improving, if you will, on those standards. We're taking those materials and we're putting them into wind turbines in this country and we're putting them into electric vehicles in this country. So it makes no sense to take materials that, by everyone's admission, have caused significant environmental devastation and to put them into clean or green applications here in the US. It's no good saying, well, they mine and process it in China. It doesn't affect us. We all know that climate change and and things that happen in one part of the world affect another part of the world. So in the United States, and for that matter, in Canada and Australia, you cannot get a mine into production without going through significant environmental rigors And whether it's through the federal permitting process, whether it's through the state by state, there is no such thing as getting a mine up and running in the United States that has not been permitted in ways that ensure that there will be no environmental harm and most certainly well above the standards that China is mining and processing today. In the case of Roundtop, we happen to be on state of Texas land, so it's a little bit more straightforward than those projects that we see on federal land or we've seen with different lithium companies, whether it's Lithium Americas or Piedmont, experiencing various difficulties with the permitting authorities or with people protesting. But from the environmentalist standpoint, I mean, they cannot have their cake and eat it. If we're going green and if we want to have electrification of vehicles and renewable energy, then We have to get these materials from somewhere and there are standards that are being set. There are organizations like Irma, ResponsibleMining.net that have companies like Ford, BMW, Microsoft and others that have signed up. And it's almost like an ESG rating, if you will, for companies that will be going into production. In the case of Roundtop, we've already announced that we're going to be using renewable energy. We have a very different processing method to others, so it's extremely benign. We don't do any cracking or flotation because of the nature of our or body. So it's quite straightforward in our case. But even looking at other projects, and it might sound strange coming from me sort of talking about competitors, we need a number of mines up and running in this country within the next 10 to 15 years. And we have to be realistic about what those environmental standards are. And the fact that mining can be done in a fairly benign way with minimal negative impact to the environment. Best case scenario going forward, what do you think is the most 
the biggest amount or the biggest percentage of global demand for rare earth minerals production and mining and the like that the United States could provide? I think best case scenario in the next decade, maybe we're looking at 10%. And that's quite scary. And that's if we look at optimistically at the projects that are slated to come online between now and 2030. Some of them may be economic, some of them may not be economic, especially sort of when trying to compete with China. But I think that's why we need to look at not just the short term, the long term as well. And if we're at 10% or 15% by 2030, and we get that up to 40 or 50% by 2040, at least we're making a dent. We're doing something we can prioritize if it's for national defense. So that I leave to people smarter than me and people in government decide sort of what's a priority. But to be 100% dependent on China is definitely something that everybody's questioning and wondering how we got in this position. And again, I think if the US government is able to do this in a methodical way, cut a lot of the red tape that's there and go somewhat outside of the box and look at countries like Australia, like Canada, and also spurring on domestic production of magnet materials, we may be able to get to 20 or 30% by 2030. But right now, unless certain things are put into place, I don't see how we get there. Peeny Althaus of USA Rare Earth, thank you so much for bringing me up to date on the progress of developing a domestic or at least a non-China supply chain for rare earth materials, mining, processing, and the like. Thank you very much for being with me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Robert. It was a pleasure. That was my conversation with Peeny Althaus of USA Rare Earth, talking about the need for a domestic supply of critical rare earth minerals. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.